Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. As Texas slouches from the election toward the legislative session, we're going to take a break from talking about Texas today and have a look at the last gasp of the national election season. And that's the runoff election for a U.S. Senate seat in Georgia between incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock and his Republican challenger, the former football running back Herschel Walker. There is a Texas angle here, which I I think we'll touch on. Um, But for this conversation, I'm really happy to be joined by Greg Bluestein. Greg is uh, a political reporter and author who covers Georgia politics for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and is the author of Flipped, How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power. Greg has been all over this election in Georgia, has written prolifically about this race and and the saga of the Georgia Senate seats writ large. He's also been a regular presence on cable news for the last couple of cycles at least. He's a busy guy, and I'm really happy to have him on the podcast. So thanks a lot and welcome, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start for those that have not been following this race that closely, and I think that if they're They've gotten this far. They probably are. But Greg, give us give us a quick version of how we got to where we are uh, as this runoff unfolds. Well, first of all, Georgia is one of the few states that has a runoff rule in the first place. And that basically says that if no candidate gets a majority of the votes, that's 50 percent plus one, there is a runoff period. Um, this is no stranger to a national audience either because Georgia had runoffs in after the 2020 election that resulted in the victories of both Senator Warnock and John Ossoff that flipped control of the chamber and basically allowed President Joe Biden um, to, to pursue his policy priorities the first two years of his presidential term. Um, but more specifically, how we got to a matchup between Senator Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, uh, basically, you know, in an election cycle after Democrats uh, sort of shocked the world in 2020, President Joe Biden becomes the first Democratic presidential candidate to win Georgia since 1982. And you had um, Ossoff and Warnock flip the control of the Senate. Uh, Republicans kind of restored order uh, to a degree in 2022. Every Republican candidate, including Governor Brian Kemp, won their statewide elections except for Herschel Walker. And the reason why is that 200,000 fewer voters backed um, Herschel Walker than Brian Kemp. So basically there was 200,000 split-ticket voters that either – uh, uh, back Brian Kemp and, and also voted for Raphael Warnock or back Brian Kemp and just withheld their vote for anyone at all. And that was the decisive factor here. And those split ticket voters will continue to shape this race going into uh, December 6th. So given that layout, then how are Walker uh, and Warnock then campaigning in the runoff to accommodate appealing to those to those key voters? You know, Walker's basically using the same campaign rhetoric that he used before the midterm. It's very far right. It's very MAGA. 
you talk about transgender policies and border control and a lot of the issues that tend to energize conservative voters. The one difference, though, is now he has Governor Brian Kemp on the campaign trail with him. Kemp has cut ads and gone to headline events with him and, and uh, held fundraisers for him. So Kemp is, is now at his side, and, and, and you know, the two of them really steered clear of each other through the midterm. And for split-ticket voters, who's the more, who's, you know, Brian Kemp is pretty much the most effective Republican messenger you can have because all those split-ticket voters back Brian Kemp in the first place. For, for Raphael Warnock, um, his strategy has always been sort of a, uh, an and strategy. He's trying to go after the base and those split-ticket voters. So he won't shy away from the fact that he supports federal voting rights expansions and uh, gun control and, you know, uh, abortion rights and a lot of the issues that also galvanize Democrats. But what he does on the campaign trail is he talks more about working with conservatives like Ted Cruz than he does working with President Joe Biden. And it's not because Ted Cruz is very popular with those political <laughs> voters. It's more of him showing that, hey, I can work across party lines when I need to. Right. I, I, it's sort of a non-threatening, non-less you know, less partisan pose. So what t- talk, talk, for, talk to us for a minute about what the governor's calculation is here in terms of uh, you know the, the the shift in tone and and I mean there's a certain there's a, it makes a kind of partisan sense but it's a pretty big shift. It's a definitely a big shift. Look, I mean, in the run up to the May primaries here in Georgia, um, Donald Trump had backed David Perdue, a former U.S. senator, to run against uh, Brian Kemp. Donald Trump also backed Herschel Walker. So when I asked Herschel Walker after he cast his ballot in May who he voted for, he wouldn't tell me. <laughs> but when, when when we got Herschel Walker uh, at a uh, at a student event in North Georgia a few weeks before that primary, he said he was mad at both Brian Kemp and David Perdue for running against each other. So basically, you know, uh, Herschel Walker wanted little to do with Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp wanted little to do with Herschel Walker. When I when I would ask Brian Kemp about what he thought about Herschel Walker's latest controversy, he'd say, "Hey, I'm trying to help the whole ticket." He would never really single out. Herschel Walker. But now the calculus has changed. Brian Kemp is this national figure. He beat both Donald Trump's handpicked candidate and Stacey Abrams, the sort of arch nemesis of many in the GOP, in the same election cycle. So his national fortunes are rising. He's the most popular Republican in Georgia. And so he's, he can use that network to help Herschel Walker. He also knows that if Herschel Walker loses and Brian Kemp was on the sidelines, then he would get blamed. So at this point, he's doing... I think he's doing more than the bare minimum, but he's doing enough to show Republicans that, hey, he's doing his part to help Herschel Walker without necessarily hitching his wagon to Herschel Walker. Right. And, 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 and if Herschel Walker loses, it's going to be hard to, to really cast a lot of blame on anybody else, right? Yeah. Herschel Walker has so much baggage, so many personal issues, uh, so many controversies and scandals that, um, that you know, he will be the first person to blame. Um, but you know how things go after elections. The knives come out, and I could see if Kemp was on the sidelines, I could see um, some elements of the Republican Party trying to blame him uh, to score some points. Right. So that yeah. So the the, the political logic there makes makes a certain amount of uh, uh, certainly mercenary sense, right? Um, exactly. I'm also reading a lot about how, about turnout and turnout being comparatively high. Um, what do you make of turnout? You're more you're more familiar with the patterns. I think there's typically a pattern in coverage for people to see somewhat high turnout and declare it super high. But what what should we make of the turnout? So we're definitely seeing high turnout. But the thing we have to remember is that we used to have three weeks 
of early voting in-person turnout. Now it's down to one week. So in that condensed time frame, you'd expect turnout to be higher. That being said, it is still explosively high. I mean, it's, it, the turnout set records uh, for in-person early voting turnout in Georgia on both Monday and Tuesday, the first two days where there was mandatory statewide um, early voting. So that's tremendous numbers, and it's numbers that Democrats are very uh, enthusiastic about because uh, many of those votes came, most of those votes came in counties that Senator Raphael Warnock won, as opposed to Herschel Walker leading counties. Now, there's also been high turnout in these lightly populated, sparser rural areas um, where Herschel Walker is going to dominate, but the biggest turnout is going to be in the cities of Atlanta, Savannah, Columbus, uh, Macon. Those are the cities where Democrats are hoping to build giant margins because what they worry about is election day turnout. Republicans in Georgia tend to win big on election day turnout, so it's up to the Democrats to build that cushion early on. Herschel Walker won election day turnout by double digits here in Georgia in November, but it wasn't enough for him to win outright. And so Democrats hope that they can build that giant cushion for themselves these next few days. Yeah, that that's a, that's a strategy not 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 unfamiliar, you know, from Texas. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm curious that the polling and, and these races are, are just notoriously difficult to poll. But the, the most recent polling that I've seen in Georgia, and I'm not that familiar what the array of, of pollsters are there, um, seems to have this race r- roughly tied. Does that make sense to you? What you know, and again, this is grossly unfair, but, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What's your sense of where it is? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a very fair question, actually. Um, and there has been very little polling, not only because it's really hard to poll a runoff electorate because you're just not show, sure who's going to show up, but, but also because there's a Thanksgiving holiday right in the middle of it. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, there, even though there's been hundreds of millions of dollars in ads spent on this race, there's still a lot of people who have no idea there's a runoff. Um, and others who are just completely exhausted and tired of any sort of political um, uh, races in Georgia because we, we have become a battleground, um, but not everyone likes the fact that we're the battleground. But the, the one or two polls that have come out and the internal polls that I know about show a very close race. Um, the, the, a poll conducted for AARP by a bipartisan polling firm put had uh, Senator Warnock at 51, Herschel Walker at 47, um, so four points up with some undecideds, and that's within the margin of error. So um, so close race, you know, Democrats and, and, frankly, a lot of Republicans feel like Senator Warnock has the upper hand right now um, because of Herschel Walker's blunders, but also things that he can't really control. And the biggest thing was the fact that Senate control was clinched by Democrats a few weeks ago with the races in Nevada and Arizona being called. Um, that meant the Democrats had 50 seats, which meant that they, with the tie-breaking vote from Vice President Kamala Harris, they retained control of the Senate. That is very good news for Senator Warnock. And the reason why is he wants to make this race a contrast between him and Herschel Walker and not nationalize it. And Herschel Walker, his case for really skeptical Republican voters was, hey, even if you don't like me, a vote for me is a vote for Republican-controlled Senate. And now we can no longer make that argument. Right. And, and, and that has also helped, uh, as I gather, Warnock maintain something of a spending advantage, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that has helped, but Warnock has been an elite fundraiser for the last two or three years here in, um, in, around the nation. I mean, he raised unbelievable amounts of money due to that 2020 runoff, mm-hmm. and he's continued that. So his, his list, his donor list, his donor file is probably like 6,000 pages long, 
and he's retained that advantage. Um, he just he really is one of the elite fundraisers in the nation. You know, he, he, he's raised more money than a lot of presidential candidates have raised. He raised $52 million in just a, basically a three-week span um, just a few weeks ago. So, that's, so he has this enormous fundraising advantage, and he can use that to spend the money on unconventional ways. I mean, he's still battering the airwaves with all sorts of ads, um, attacking Herschel Walker and also you know, promoting himself. But he can also spend that money on things like airplane banners that go over college campuses and bus stop transit ads, and, and you know things that uh, digital ways to reach out to voters. They're they're paying um, local activists basically to mine their own cell phone data and go tell all their contacts to vote for Senator Warnock, and you know hoping that it's a little different than if you see it on an ad than if it comes from a, a, a friend, an old friend of yours. Um, and so and that that's the sort of um, thing that you, know, you you can't do if you don't have tens of millions of dollars at your disposal. Right. It's nice to have enough money to leave basically no method unused if you can, right? Yep, um, exactly. Last question. I know you've got to run, Greg. Just uh, a, just quick for our listeners, as somebody that knows Georgia, you know, what will you be watching on election night? What are the, what are the leading indicators that you'll be looking for that people can watch? They can just turn the volume down as they watch returns. Yeah, well, first, we often have our most populous counties, just like in every other state, uh, they, they come in later. <laughs> and so we'll right. be really closely watching the strongholds of Fulton and DeKalb County. DeKalb County is the most important Democratic county in, in Georgia. It is, it is a trove of votes, and it's what put Senator Warnock and Senator Ossoff over the top back in 2021's runoff. And so uh, I don't expect an early call, um, even, if, even if the race looks like it's, it's, it's you know, tilting one way or another. Um, because it's hard to call a race before you have those troves of votes in from Fulton and DeKalb counties, which may basically are the two core counties in Atlanta. And also we'll be watching at some of the splits in these, um, in these, uh, the close-in suburbs around those counties. Um, these are the areas where Herschel Walker significantly lagged behind Brian Kemp. And if we're seeing, you know, these are some Republican-leaning counties, but if we're seeing Herschel Walker win these counties by you know, four or five points and not 10 or 15 points, you know he's in trouble. It's not enough. Uh, yeah. Greg, I said that was the last question, but I got to ask you one quick thing or I'll lose yeah. my card here. Has the, the residency issue in terms of uh, Herschel Walker having a homestead exemption in in Texas affected this race at all? Is it penetrated or is it just one of like so many things? It's one of so many things. And it's funny having covered this for a long time because this is deja vu to me. I mean, we were writing about residency issues from last year, even before he got in the race. Um, remember, Herschel Walker didn't even register to vote in Georgia until a few days before he formally launched his campaign. And even after he launched his campaign, he was still doing TV interviews and other things from his Texas home. Um, I think the bigger question is, or the bigger issue for him is that he continues uh, to say that his Texas home, in, in, in court documents, at least in this in these tax records is his principal home. And it just goes to show you, you know, a campaign like that has hundreds of people working for him. Someone should have caught that. And no one did. And it's become a major issue for him. It, will it make or break his campaign? No. Um, the folks who are voting against him aren't, aren't voting because of that. There's so many other issues. But it gives Democrats one more talking point, And it gives Herschel Walker one more headache at a time where he really needs to run this sort of error-free campaign. 
Yeah, it, it's fair to say he already had some explaining to do, I guess. Um, yes. And, yes, and that, exactly. that homestead break isn't worth all that much. So given that, Greg Bluestein, thanks a lot for making the time for this. I know you're super busy. We're going to let you go to your, I think we've gotten you in time for your next hit. So thanks a lot for being here and hope you have occasion to have you back. You are the best. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care, man. You too. All right. So thanks again. It was great to have Greg Bluestein on. Uh, before I sign off, I, I want to flag something that we posted at the Texas Politics Project website that's that's follow-up from some things we've talked about on the podcast over the last couple weeks. We have a new post that I think we promised. Um, and this post by Josh Blank and I breaks down the governor's race by urban, suburban, and rural counties. Um the numbers should lead us to temper some of the conventional wisdom out there, I think. While Democrats dominate the vote in the five most populous counties, Republicans still have a real presence in urban areas when you when you look at the state of breaking down this way. The Democratic vote exceeded the Republican vote by 550,000 votes, which you know should be no surprise to anybody. But Governor Abbott still pulled about 1.3 million votes from the largest metro areas. Meanwhile, for all the talk about the competitive suburbs, overall, the Republican vote in suburban counties exceeded the Democratic vote by about 510,000 votes. So uh, Republicans, for all the increase in competition that we see, I think most manifest in legislative races, are still pulling a lot of votes out of the Texas suburbs, which is where most of the people are. Now, of course, in the rural areas, the Republicans share... um, got higher than it was in uh, was was higher in 2022 than it was in 2014 and 2018 it hit just under 80%. This means that Republican candidates, the Republican at the top of the ticket, Greg Abbott, pulled almost 570,000 more votes from rural counties than the Democrats. So, when you put this all together, it's interesting grist for the postmortem on campaign strategies, and for thinking about partisan competition in the next cycle. So have a look at that post on our website, texaspolitics.utexas.edu. Just follow the link to uh, under in the polling section to the blog. Um, and I think having this, this data to actually look at, we've talked about it a bit, as I said in the podcast, and we've put it in some tables that I think uh, if you're listening to this, you'll find fairly interesting. So with that, thanks again to Greg Bluestein for being here to share his expertise on the Georgia race. And as always, to our excellent production team in the Dev Studio in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Thanks for listening. See all the data and more at texaspolitics.utexas.edu. And we'll be back soon with another Second Reading Podcast. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. 